Come on, who's glad to be in the house of God besides me? Let me hear from you. And hey, I know I had you do it earlier, but one more time, if you're blessed to be sitting with someone to your left or your right, look at them and tell them that you are glad that they are here. Come on, tell them they're looking good in the house of God this morning. And while you're doing that, I want to take a moment again, say thank you to those of you who are joining us online. Thanks for making time and your schedule to worship God with us. And come on, we're going to grow in our faith together today. If you have your Bible with you, turn or click to 2 Kings chapter 6. And just be patient. We'll get there here in a few moments. Some other scriptures I'm going to touch on as I continue to just lay the foundation for a new series that, that I'm calling Cancel Culture. And cancel culture is something that is a phenomenon in our culture right now. It's this movement to minimize, intimidate, or eliminate differing opinions or beliefs. And in an increasing way, especially beliefs or statements that are related to biblical family values or biblical morality. And so here's the heart behind the series, though, before you get a little anxious here. And that's this, that I believe that God wants to use these messages to cause us to do two things. And one is to grow in our boldness. Because I believe that in the culture that we're living in, that the, that the church of Jesus Christ, you and I, are going to be responsible for being the hands and feet, for shining the light of Jesus, for being the salt that preserves as our, as our culture in many ways is turning and rejecting and rebelling against the word of God. We're going to have to discover a grace from God to do what Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, and that is speak the truth in love that we're gonna have to understand, we're gonna have to, and here's the thing, to, to, to live in greater levels of boldness in speaking the truth in love, it calls us to greater levels of dependency on the Holy Spirit. And it calls us to be in the word of God. It calls us to be in God's presence. And so my hope is through this series that we are invited to greater levels of dependency on God so that we can shine the light of Jesus to a culture who desperately needs to know and encounter him. Amen? And the, the second thing is, I really believe that God is gonna use this series to call us to recognize some places or ways that perhaps the culture of the world has begun to influence our lives in a greater way than the influence of the Bible and the truth of God. Because how many know it can happen? We can look up and we can realize that maybe we've drifted or some of the things that are just commonly lived out or commonly accepted or commonly believed in the culture of the world have begun to influence us even as we endeavor to live for Christ. And the Bible is very clear. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I love sometimes that's the way that probably most of us learned that scripture, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. But every now and then I love to look at a different translation that just kind of unlocks it in a new or a fresh way. And here's what the message translation of that same verse, Romans 12, verse two says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. So two things that I hope that the Spirit of God does in us and through us in this series is cause us and draw us to deeper levels of dependency on him so that we can take a stand in boldness and speak the truth in love to a culture that desperately needs to hear the truth in love. And second, that we might recognize some of the places that, that, the, that the spirit of this world, the patterns of this world, the culture of this world is always looking to influence the way that we live our lives. And, and that maybe God, he never comes with condemnation, 
but that maybe we would open ourselves up and say, Lord, would you bring a spirit of conviction though? If there's a place where maybe I've begun to align myself more with what the world thinks or how the world lives than how you have called me and invited me to live according to your, to your word. Cancel culture, a movement to minimize, intimidate, eliminate. Differing opinions or beliefs, and in an increasing way, especially beliefs tied to biblical morality. And I want you to hear me. I'm going to reiterate a couple things that I stated last week because it's key. It's foundational. You need to hear me about this. There are issues where accountability should be required. For example, racism or chauvinism, there are still issues that, where accountability needs to be required. But unfortunately, the effort to silence, harass, and intimidate has not stopped with accountability for legitimate wrongs. It has extended to points of simple disagreement over politics, health decisions, family values, and again, especially anything that has to do with taking a stand for biblical morality, especially as it regards family values and issues of gender and sexuality. And so cancel. We used to cancel an old magazine subscription. They cancel a television program that isn't gaining enough viewers. But now, unfortunately, we see people attempting to cancel other people. And hear me, I'm not talking about establishing healthy boundaries. There are some relationships where you have to understand God's going to call you for that season to establish healthy boundaries. But what we're talking about goes beyond that. What we're talking about is an attempt to punish people, to destroy people's reputations, to harm them financially or shun them relationally. And I want to encourage you that that grieves the heart of God. Because let me just read a few of our foundational scriptures in the, in the, in the series. First Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. James 1, 19. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, he's talking to you. He's talking to me. He says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And how many know you could look around and there could be some legitimate things that you could legitimately begin to become angry about, but God's just warning you right there and he's saying, the pathway to a breakthrough is not to get in your flesh and become angry. It doesn't accomplish the righteousness that I'm calling you to introduce into the equation. Ephesians 4, verse 31 through 32 says, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Lastly, Galatians 6, verse 1, which is speaking about people who act actually have fallen into sin. And that's what it says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, watch what it encourages you and I to do. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently and watch yourselves lest you also be tempted. It grieves the heart of God, and Jesus had no room in his heart or his ministry for canceling others. And all throughout the Bible, this will resonate with you. You'll remember it to be true. He actually caught shade and grief from people for spending too much time with sinners and tax collectors and people that the religious culture of the day thought ought to be canceled. He spent time with Zacchaeus and it says the people murmured. He spent time with the Samaritan woman at the well who was not just a Samaritan, who the, who the Jews resisted. They, they, it, was a, it was a sinful Samaritan woman and he not only engaged with her, which was countercultural, but he offered her a drink of living water by which she would never thirst again. He, 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 when they wanted to cancel, when they wanted to eliminate the sinful woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus would not only not participate in her cancellation, but he stooped down into the sin of her life and offered her an opportunity for a new life and a fresh start. Jesus had no room in his heart for canceling others. And just as you and I once did, our world that is lost, that is confused, that is hurting because they're just, they're far from God. They're just like you and I were before we encountered Jesus. 
That culture, our world, needs Jesus. Just as you and I still do, people need grace and forgiveness. Romans 5 verse 20 says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And you look around at our culture and you see all the headlines and you read all the headlines and it's, it's, it's very perplexing. Some of the things that you read that are being introduced into the education system and some of the battles that are being waged, the current battle that's being waged over Roe versus Wade. And if you missed last Sunday, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it as I presented a case from God's word about the dignity and the, and the sacredness of, of womanhood and motherhood and, a, and about what God's word has to say about that situation with an encouragement that us as the people of God should be unapologetically pro-life. And we should pray and believe to the end result of that ungodly, unrighteous decision being reversed in such a way that we begin to stand for the unborn and protect the dignity and sanctity of human life. Not that laws would just be turned, but that hearts would be turned. Not that laws or, or edicts would just be changed, but that the hearts of people would begin to be changed to see the matter differently. That's what we ought to pray and believe. Okay, okay, so, so now that takes us to 2 Kings chapter 6, and before we dig into God's word, come on, let's just pray briefly, but boldly over what God wants to do, what he wants to speak, maybe what he wants to remind in you or reveal to you today. Father, we thank you. What a privilege it is to be gathered as your people in your presence, in your house, and Lord, now we open up your word, which is filled with your promises. Lord, would you come and speak to us? Lord, anyone who's here today, maybe they're, they're fearful, they're, they're, weak, they're weak, they're weary, they're hurting God, any area of their life, Lord. Spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically, God, any area of their life, Lord, we know that you're the, you're the great physician, you're the healer, you're the comforter, God. You bring strength, you bring hope, you bring life, you bring courage, God. And we pray that you would do all those things and everything in between, God, in every life, every man, every woman, every young adult, Lord, every marriage, every family, every situation and circumstance, Lord. You know our names and you know everything we're up against and everything we're going through, God. And you know everything you're inviting and leading us towards and to, God. And so we put our trust in you. We're, Lord, we, we're attentive today. We want to hear from your spirit. We want to hear from your word, Lord. We want to grow in our faith. We want to look more like Jesus at the end of this message today. And all of God's people said, come on, if you'll believe or receive any or all of that for yourself, come on, say amen, amen, amen. amen. All right, Second Kings chapter 6. And if you would, for time's sake, just to allow me to paraphrase kind of the backstory a little bit. Here's where we find ourselves is that the nation of Aram, which is modern day Syria, is, is on a full scale attack against the people of Israel. And, and there's a prophet of God that is currently living in the land of Israel named Elisha. And Elisha is a powerful, mighty man of God. And Elisha has been so close to God and he's hearing from heaven, so much so that Elisha is being used of God to get to allow the army of Israel to stay one step ahead of the curve of every strategic decision that the foreign invading army is making against the people of Israel. In other words, the king of Aram he, he keeps making strategic plans in the battle and the people of Israel are always one step ahead. When he says, let's go there, Israel, the people of Israel through the word of the Lord, through Elisha, have already heard and known that that's where the enemy is going to attack them. And so they've avoided that place. They've avoided that moment. And so the king has become, the king of Aram, this evil king, has become really upset and disillusioned. And he, so much so that he goes to his inner circle and he says, who among you is a traitor among us who is giving the advice and giving our plans in advance to the, to the people of Israel? And they say, it is none of us, but it is a man of God named Elisha 
who hears the, from God so closely and so intently that he hears the secret plans that we are devising and allows the people of God to be one step ahead of us. And I'm telling you today that the Holy Spirit of God, if you'll get in his presence, if you'll turn your ear to heaven, if you'll hit your knees in prayer, if you'll open up the word, he still desires to do the same for you, for your marriage, for your family. There's an enemy that's coming on a full-scale attack against your heart, your mind, your marriage, your family. But if you'll get with God, he'll give you the insight. He'll speak to you. He'll reveal things to you. He'll encourage you. He'll help you to stay one step ahead of the enemy. Someone ought to say, thank you, Jesus. So that's what's going on. And we pick up the story in verse 13 of chapter six. And the king's become enraged and he's sending a force. He's sending a delegation to go and capture and kill Elisha. And it says this, verse 13. So he said, the king said, go and see where he, speaking of Elisha, is so that I may send men and take him. And it was told to him, the king, saying, behold, Elisha is in Dothan. So the king sent horses and chariots and a substantial army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Reading on verse 15 says, now when the attendant of the man of God, in other words, Elisha's assistant, it says, when Elisha's assistant got up and rose early and went out, behold, he saw an army with horses and chariots circling the city. Remember, it said in the middle of the night, they had surrounded the people of Israel. And his servant said to him, this is hopeless, my master. What are we to do? And watch what Elisha says. He says, do not be afraid. I just take a moment, look at your neighbor and just tell him, don't be afraid. Just look at him and say, don't be afraid. Just encourage them with the truth of God's word because it might look one way. It might seem like you're surrounded. It might seem insurmountable. It might be the darkest moment of your life. But the word of the Lord to you today is do not be afraid. Watch what Elisha says. Because those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and he said, Lord, please open his eyes so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw and behold, the mountain was so full of God's horses and God's chariots of fire. It was, they were all around Elisha. Verse 14 says that they surrounded the city by night. And I wonder who today maybe feels surrounded on all sides. I wonder who today feels overwhelmed. I wonder who today feels like you're up against something that's insurmountable. And I'm telling you that that's still the enemy's tactic in our lives. If he can't keep you from moving forward, he'll cause you to feel overwhelmed. He'll cause you to feel like you're surrounded. He'll cause you to feel like you're never going to make it. And I'm telling you today, you're going to make it through. And the scheme of the enemy and surrounding you in the dark of night and causing you to feel like it's insurmountable and causing you to feel like you don't know which direction to turn is to cause you to have the same sentiment that the assistant to Elisha, that the man of God said in the following verse, this is hopeless. And I'm telling you today that if you've got Jesus, you've got hope. And it might look one way in your, in your health. It might look one way in your marriage. It might look one way in your finances. It, like, it might look one way in your family. It might look one way in any other circumstance or situation or any area of your life that is important to you and important to God. But I'm telling you today, it might look like you're surrounded, but there is hope if Jesus is on your side. And I'm so thankful that the, the assistant had the man of God. He had a community of faith. He had a preacher who was willing to speak up and tell him. And he had, a, he had someone, he had a brother in Christ that was willing to come alongside him and begin to pray for him because that's what Elisha did. He said, God, would you please open his eyes? Would you allow him to see that what, what's stated in verse 16, 
Those who are with us are greater than those who are with him. And I, I came to remind someone today what 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, and it's this, that if you, you and I are people of God and as people of God, we live and walk by faith and not by sight. We live and walk by faith over our feelings, faith over our emotions. And I'm telling you today that you can really see, you might really see the doctor's report. You might really see the divorce decree. You might really see the family that has forsaken you. You might really see some of those legitimate, real obstacles, problems, unexpected, unforeseen things. But I'm telling you today that the Spirit of God is encouraging you and I'm here to compel you to once again begin to say, God, but would you open my eyes in the midst of the storm? Would you open my eyes in the midst of the obstacles? Would you open my eyes in the midst of the adversity? I feel like I'm surrounded. Every, everywhere I look, all I see is a challenge. All I see is a problem. But would you open our eyes today to be reminded that greater is he who is with us and in us than he who is in the world? Someone ought to say Amen. We live by faith and not by sight. I'm just telling you that whatever you see today, just it might look one way today, but I'm telling you, if you'll put your focus, if you'll fix your focus, if you'll turn your heart, if you'll hit your knees, if you'll get in God's word, just because it looks one way today doesn't mean it's going to look that way tomorrow. And it might be one day or it might take a sustained season of really pressing into God and putting your hope in God, putting your trust in God and asking for others to come alongside you, coming to the front at the end of these services, maybe not just one time, but maybe consistently for a season and saying, I'm up against something, I'm surrounded, it seems impossible, it seems insurmountable, but I'm telling you, greater is he who is with you. If Jesus is with you and for you, there's hope for your family, hope for your health, hope for your finances, hope for your tomorrow. Just because it looks one way, it doesn't mean that that's the way it's gonna to look tomorrow. I was reminded of a couple of examples and one was from real recently and one was from a few years ago. And you know, we, we have a 15 year old who is now beginning to drive and how many know that, that will really increase your prayer life right there? You know, when your teenagers begin to drive, when my daughters begin to date, I mean, I, I just think I'm gonna be spending a lot more time in fervent prayer right there. He's driving and he's doing a great job and he's really responsible. But the vehicle that he has, there's a few others that look just like it. It's just one of those, those vehicles that, that, that just, there's several in town that look exactly like the one that he drives. And recently there were some leaders in the church that came to us and they said, wow, the other day we were driving around town and we saw what we thought was Aaron's vehicle and we, was, we saw it, it was zipping in and out of traffic. It was creating unsafe driving circumstances for other people. It was driving recklessly. And, and we just looked at it and we thought, oh dear God, there's Aaron. We're gonna have to go to Pastor T and tell him because if that was our son, we would want to know that he was driving like that. But thankfully, the Lord allowed for these circumstances to unfold and the light turned red and they pulled up alongside and they looked to the side and they saw that what they thought was Aaron was actually one of the other people that have that same vehicle here in town. And Aaron was spared a great and mighty... <laughs> but here's the point. Just because it looks one way doesn't mean that that's the reality. At a glance, it looked like, whoa, that doesn't look good. But when you actually saw who was behind the wheel, it looked a little bit differently. And I'm telling you, get God behind the wheel. It, it might look like it's careening out of control. It might look like there's no way. Get God behind the wheel of whatever it is that has you nervous, that has you anxious, that has you doubting, that has you fearful today. 
Seven years ago, I can't believe it's already been seven years ago, we received the invitation. I was a worship pastor in South Texas for an amazing church called Good Shepherd Community Church. We were in Brownsville, Texas, as far south in Texas as you can possibly physically literally go right there where the Rio Grande River merges with the Gulf of Mexico, right there near South Padre Island. Great weather, great fishing, and great tacos. Someone say amen. Those are of the Lord. And we loved it there, but God invited us to move to lovely Lawrence, Kansas, to become a part of this team and become a part of this church family. And come on, there's no looking back. We're eternally grateful. We're privileged. We're honored to be a part of what God's doing here. We're grateful that you guys are our church family. But how many know that moving is not of God? Like, I mean, the process of packing your things and putting them in a truck and driving them halfway across the country, that is not of God. And so I, we rented a 35-foot U-Haul, and I just knew that it was way big enough to fit all of our belongings in it, and that was fool's gold. We, we, it took, we, by the end of the moving, we were packing things in with a pry bar to get it to fit into the U-Haul. There were things strapped on to the top of the U-Haul, you know. And so we, were, we, we not only had the 35-foot U-Haul all packed to the gills, but then I had the wisdom of hooking up a 22-foot trailer to the back of the U-Haul and hauling my wife's SUV in an attempt to save some gas. Someone say that was dumb. And so picture me, I'm driving a 35-foot U-Haul, overloaded, overweight, overcapacity, pulling a 20-foot trailer with my wife's SUV on the back, and I'm driving it 1,114 miles from Brownsville, Texas to lovely Lawrence, Kansas through one-lane traffic on I-35 in downtown Austin, Texas. How many of you have ever been to Austin, Texas? It's the worst place for traffic in the history of mankind. It's grown so fast and the infrastructure can't facilitate it. And so it's bad on a normal day, but on the day where we happen to be driving through there, it's one lane traffic. They've got those concrete barriers put out that actually even cause the lane that, they, that they're giving it to be even narrower than a normal lane. And I'm driving this 35-foot U-Haul towing a 20-foot trailer with an SUV through one lane traffic. And the U-Haul, as I'm going up the hill of an overpass, dies. Traffic was already backed up five miles, but now I'm the guy that people are saying is the one responsible for backing it up another five miles. And I guess in a roundabout way, they were correct. We had to, what, what do you do? We called the state troopers and they came to start helping us and they assisted us to get the U-Haul off the overpass and off to the side of the road. And here's what we came to discover because it happened another three or four times on the rest of our trip thankfully never on one-lane traffic in downtown Austin. But here's what we discovered is that there was a faulty oil pressure sensor that was telling the operating control system of the truck that there wasn't enough oil in the engine for it to be safe to move forward. But it wasn't the reality. There was plenty of oil. It had just been changed and checked. In fact, that's what we would learn after the fact. And I'm just saying that someone today, the enemy is coming. There's a faulty sensor in your life that's telling you that you're not enough, that's telling you that you don't have enough, that's telling you that you won't make it through, that's telling you that you're never going to make it to the destination where God is calling you to. But I'm telling you today, it's not the truth. You have enough. You are enough. God is enough. He's going to see you through. He's going to see you to where he's invited you and called you to. If you won't allow the voices of the enemy that are faulty sensors, those voices of fear and doubt and inferiority to speak in such a way that causes you to shrink back or be hindered or hold back on the journey that God has called you to. The faulty sensor was a lie. We had enough oil. 
which by the way represents the Holy Spirit in your life. We, we had enough. And, and again, I just wonder who, you, you, you got enough, but there's something that, it, it, it's faulty, it's, a, it's something that someone said, it's, it's, a, it's a mindset, it's a perception that you have in your life that's causing you to believe something that's actually not true. And the man of God, he got up and he said, we're, he said, this is hopeless, we're surrounded. And Elisha was there right there to say, hey, take a moment, let me encourage you, let me pray for you, let me help you, let me strengthen you. God opened his eyes, let him see what I've grown to see, that there are actually more that are with us and for us and fighting on our behalf than those who are standing against us. We are going to make it through. When Jesus is on your side, you always have hope. Where's the enemy saying that you're not gonna make it? You don't have enough, you aren't enough. If you've got Jesus, you've got enough. Did you know that the Bible, I think this is just powerful in John, I believe, is it John chapter eight, John eight, verse 44, describes Satan as the father of lies. You remember that? It says he's the father of lies. In fact, I'll just read it to you. It says, for there is no truth in him when he lies, speaking of Satan, he speaks in his native language. For he is a liar and he is the father of lies. What does that mean, the father of lies? You know what I think it means? I think it means this, and it's powerfully important to understand this in advance. It means it's, it's the only place where he's described as the father. He's the father of lies. I believe it means it's the only place where he has creative ability. That everywhere else, he's just using, manipulating, or perverting things that God has created. But he's the father of lies, which means he has creative ability in his ability to lie to you and to me to introduce things that, that cause you to think that you really aren't gonna make it, that you really aren't enough, that God really doesn't love you, that God really isn't gonna come through for you. He's the father of lies. He, it's, this is important to, to embrace and understand because if you can understand in advance that he's creative in his ability to lie, then maybe when you hear or receive a lie of the enemy, you could begin to say, hold on one moment. Let me remember what Pastor T told me that day. It might look one way. It might sound one way. We might really be surrounded. But if I'll take a moment and I'll ask God to open up my spiritual eyes, I'll be reminded that there are actually more who are with us and fighting for me and my marriage and my family and my health and my finances and my future than those who are against me. He's the father of lies. You remember Joseph? You remember Joseph? Remember, remember Joseph's father had favored him and given him the coat of men and colors? And you remember Joseph had a dream about his life and his future and the ministry and the influence that God really was calling him to and preparing and fashioning him for? Maybe he got a little bit overzealous in sharing it too soon, and maybe he should have shared it a little bit more selectively with the right people. That's another sermon for another day. But you remember Joseph... And you remember that, that on his way to the palace in the dream, he, he got thrown into the pit and they threw him in the pit and they gathered around and they said, what should we do with Joseph? And they said, I say we should kill him. And, and I think Joseph was like, I say we let him go. <laughs> but you remember what they decided because you remember what they said. I'm paraphrasing for time's sake. They said, there's no profit in killing him. Let's sell him into slavery. Let's sell him into slavery. That's exactly what they did. They sold him. They human trafficked him right into, into slavery. But then you remember what they did. They took the robe, the robe of many colors, the coat of many colors that they knew the father would recognize. And you remember what they did. They killed a goat. They killed a lamb. They took the blood. They put it on the robe and they took it back to the father. And they said in verse 32, it's, or verse 31 rather, it says, they, dipped the, they killed the young goat. They dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe back to their father with this message. Look what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? The father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. 
Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Do you see what's happened here? And it says, then Jacob tore his clothes, distressed himself in burlap, mourned deeply for his son for a long time, saying, I will go to my grave mourning for my son. Surely Joseph must have been eaten. Clearly he has been torn to pieces. Was that the truth? It wasn't the truth. But the enemy is so good. He's the father of lies. He has creative ability when it involves introducing lies into your life that he even will produce evidence to support the lie. You're gonna die at an early age. Here's the doctor's report. Your, your, your marriage is over. Here's the divorce decree. They don't love you. They don't accept you. See the Facebook post. <laughs> you owe it to yourself to receive the revelation and predetermine to understand and to begin to ascertain and discern, is this the voice of the enemy or is it possible that he, the father of lies, is introducing in a lie into my life and he's even so good at it, he's the father of lies, he's introducing supportive evidence and you owe it to yourself to begin to recognize those things and begin to say, it might look like this, I might really have the, do the doctor's report, I might really have the divorce decree, my kids might really be living in that lifestyle, but today I'm making a decision to be reminded that greater is he who is with us, he is with us and we still have hope, it might seem hopeless, we might seem surrounded, it might seem insurmountable, but God, open my eyes. God, remind me that greater are you who is in me than he who is in the world. You might have really committed the sin. The lie is God can't use you. You might really just be just wrapped up in your marriage in all kinds of strife and there's no intimacy, no friendship, no joy in the lie is that your marriage cannot be saved. You might really have the doctor's report. The lie is you can never be healed. It may look hopeless, but I'm telling you, Elisha was aware of a powerful truth that hopefully you and I are becoming more and more aware of through this message today that I hope you can receive and embrace today. If you could begin to see with spiritual eyes, you'll know that greater are those who are with us. It's what Elisha said to his servant. And the word greater that he used right there, he said, greater are those who are with us than are standing against us is the Hebrew word rabim. And it means, if you look it up, it means many, many things. It means much, many, greater. It means abounding in more numerous than. It means abundantly enough. It means greater than than an adversary, it means exceedingly great. And I'm here to encourage you today. When you look at the storm around you, do not forget to remember the Savior within you. Greater is he than the New Testament parallel of Elisha's encouragement is found in 1 John 4, 4, and it says, you, dear children, speaking of you, speaking of me, you're from God, and you've overcome them, and them is speaking about people who are introducing lies into the culture, and it says, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So moving on in the story, this is amazing how it ends, and it's a great place to finish this, especially in this series that we're calling Cancel Culture. And, and, and moving on, in verse 18 and 19, it, it says, when the Syrians came down against him, remember, this evil king is sending this army to come and take Elisha out. And it says, when they came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord. 
And he said, please strike the people with blindness. So the Lord struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Come on, it sounds like some Star Wars stuff here, there, right? Like Jedi mind tricks right there, but it's really God just in stepping into the scene and creating confusion in the camp of the enemy. And what Elisha does then is he says, follow me and I'll bring you to the man who you seek. And instead of them being led to the place where Elisha is, where they could take him and kill him and cancel him, they led them to Samaria. And picking up in verse 20, it says, as soon as they entered into Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, now open the eyes that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were now in the midst of Samaria. Can you imagine what that would have been like? And it says, as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And what it represents is he said, wow, is this our opportunity? Is this our moment? The nation that's coming against us, now you've delivered them to our doorsteps. What shall we do with them? And watch what Elisha says. He says, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those who you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Watch what he says instead. He says instead, set bread and water before them so that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Verse 23, so he prepared, the king prepared a great feast before them. And after they had finished eating, remember, this is their adversaries. These are the people that, that have been opposing them and resisting them and making life difficult for them. And God has delivered them right there. They have the opportunity to do with them as they may. And instead, God says, the word of God is, would you feed them? Would you prepare a great feast before them? And it says, after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. And if you read on, it goes on to say that that act of faith and obedience and servanthood and sacrifice changed the atmosphere of the, uh, and the dynamic of the interaction between the two nations. It goes on to say that there was now peace between the two nations. It says, feed them bread and water. And, and do you remember what Jesus is described as in John chapter 6, verse 35, where he said, I am the what? Bread of life. And in John 4, verse 14, he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again because the water that I give will become a spring of water that wells up to eternal life. And so what he's saying here is that the people who are opposing our faith and opposing your faith and, and standing against and, 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 and railing against things that have to do with God and with the Bible and with Jesus and morality, he says, you're not called to cancel them, you're called to feed them. He says, would you welcome them into a place where they can hear about Jesus? Would you welcome them into a place? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand up and speak up and step out. There's some places where we are to do those things. That's part of the message. But I'm saying that the pathway to ultimate peace in our culture is not to cancel people. But it's some model what it looks like to say, you know what, let me tell you what my life was once like before I met Jesus. Let me tell you about the confusion that God healed me of. Let me tell you about the sin that God forgave me of. Let me tell you about how God's made some things right in my life. Let me help you, let me show you, let me teach you. Let me prepare a table right here, even in the presence of my enemies, which is what God is in the business of doing. He said, bring them bread and water so that they may what? Return to their master. There are many people who are far from God many people who have drifted from God, many people who are opposing God, and that's the heart of God. He says, I want them to come back to me. I know it might seem impossible. I know it might seem insurmountable. I know that, that when you read the headlines and when you see what people are up against, it might seem impossible, but be encouraged. Nothing is impossible with God. Would you stand to your feet? Stand to your feet. Let's respond to God. As you're standing to your feet, come on, right where you are, right where you are, would you just ask God, just say, Lord, what are you speaking to me? What are you speaking to me?
What are you reminding me of? What are you looking to reveal in me? What are you trying to shift in me? Where are you trying to deliver me? Where are you trying to heal me? And I trust that he'll speak to you because he cares and he knows what you're going through and what you're up against. And he cares even more deeply about it than you or I do. And would you just still your heart to say, Lord, what are you speaking to me today? And I believe one of the things that he wants to do is bring faith and hope to seemingly hopeless situations. I mean, when that man woke up from that tent and got up from that tent and went out and looked around that camp, they really were surrounded all on all sides. And maybe you're here today and you would say, man, in the natural, Pastor T, I really am surrounded all on sides in my health, in my marriage, in my family, whatever it looks like. I'm telling you today, God is in the business of taking real people that have real problems. But when you'll turn those real things and those real problems towards the presence and the heart of a real God, he offers real forgiveness, real hope, real healing and real restoration. You don't have, I mean, you might really be going through some things. There's a real stack of bills that can't be paid. There, there's, a, there's a real health challenge, but I'm telling you today, God wants to come and he wants to serve fresh hope and faith for the future. Because as long as Jesus is on your side, it might seem insurmountable, it might seem impossible, but there is hope for you in Jesus' mighty name. Maybe today God's wanting to bring boldness into your life that you're recognizing, man, there's a place that God has placed me. There's some people that God has sent me to and there's a, there's a need for me to be the one that speaks the truth, but speaks it in the way that Jesus would have me to speak it in love for people who are just living the way that they're living because they're far from God. And they need Jesus the same way that I used to need Jesus. So Lord, we just thank you for those things, Lord, that you just grace us, God, to stand for you, to live for you, God. I pray, Lord, that you would bring faith and hope, Lord, for even seemingly hopeless situations in the mighty name of Jesus. And right there, just stay in a posture of receiving. And I want to give people an opportunity today before we worship one more time, before we send you about your day, to say yes to Jesus, to come home to your heavenly father. And maybe you're here or you're joining us online and you once knew God, loved God. Maybe you even grew up in the church, but you've just gotten busy or you made some bad choices, made some bad decisions. And today, for whatever reason, you're far from God. You've drifted from him. And if that's you today, you're like what the Bible describes as a prodigal son in that parable that Jesus told. The one that came and said, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna do it my own way. And he went and he tried to do it in his own strength and he went to try to do it in his own way and the father knew how it was gonna go for him. And you know the story, it didn't go well. And eventually he looked up and he said, what am I doing? Man, in my father's house, he, he used to take care of me. What am I doing? And today, if that's you, the father in the story, is your father today, your heavenly father, and he's doing the same thing that he was in the parable. He's not holding you at arm's length. He's not judging you or condemning you. He's getting up every day and he's saying, it's today the day that my son, that my daughter is gonna come back home. And when that son took one step onto the physical property of that father, he went running and he opened and he embraced him with his, he, with his arms wide open and he welcomed him back in and he put a ring on his finger. He put a royal robe around his neck. He called a festival and a party to celebrate the one who had come back home. Maybe that's you today. Or maybe you've never received what it feels like to have all the weight of guilt and sin and shame removed off of you in the way that you can only experience in the way that I experienced through accepting the free gift of salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. So if that's you today, you're in either one of those camps anywhere in between right now, right now, don't delay. This is your moment. All we're going to ask you to do before we pray a prayer with you is just lift your hand high towards heaven and say, that's me. I need, a, I need to come home. That's me. I need forgiveness. I need a savior. And if, if that's you, just, just lift your hand. It's just a simple but profound outward sign of an inward work that God's doing in your heart. If you're joining us online, I want to encourage you. 
You might even be by yourself, but I think it's powerfully important. Pull over to the side of the road, stand up from your couch, put your hand in the air. You're not responding to a person or a preacher. You're responding to your father. He sees you right where you are. He sees your heart coming back home to him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what this represents, Lord. The old things being washed away. People becoming a new creation in Christ with the opportunity for a new life and a fresh start. That's the power of the gospel. All the old sin and guilt and shame washed away, the Bible says, removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Come on, that's a long ways. If you, if you raise your hand, you can lower it today. And we wanna do a couple things. We wanna pray this prayer with you. And we do it for a couple reasons. And one is that we wanna just show you there's a, there's, a, there's a church family called Rev City that wants to come alongside you to encourage you and stand with you and walk with you. And the second reason we do it is because it just, it's a weekly reminder for every one of us that even as God is growing us in our faith, it's all built, everything God could ever build in our life of faith is all built on unmerited grace, unmerited grace. So come on, there were some amazing people who came home to God today. Let's pray this prayer with them. Yeah, let's pray this prayer with them. Come on, say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a Savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price that I couldn't pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. And I give you my life and I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, come on, say it loudly, I will never be the same and then put your hands together with all of heaven for the precious people who came home who became brothers and sisters in Christ today man God is good hey come on with everything in your heart let's praise the Lord one more time and then we'll come and dismiss you and get you about your day